Hello and welcome to an episode of The District, a podcast about politics and culture by the spectator world. I'm your host, Amber Athey, and I'm joined by a teacher at Claremont McKenna College, Christopher Nadon. And Chris, you recently had a run-in with your administration officials wherein you say you were censored. And I'd love for you to tell us what your alleged offense was and how this got elevated to the level of punishment from the Claremont McKenna administration. Okay. Well, first, I'd like to just say how grateful I am for the opportunity to talk with you today and along uh, with you to your uh, to your listeners. And secondly, I, I'd like to clarify a little bit. I, I've never made the claim of being censored uh, explicitly. I mean, censorship is something that means destroying or making inaccessible a work. What happened to me was uh, I was teaching a class on Plato's Republic last October. And Book Three of the Republic, there's a discussion of censorship. Plato, in some ways, seems to be in favor of it. And a student objected that Plato just was completely wrong and was totally irrelevant, irrelevant to, uh, to any discussion of politics today because the example of the United States in particular had shown that censorship is not necessary because it simply didn't exist in this country. Another student, after a bit of discussion, uh, brought up the example of Huckleberry Finn or someone else brought up the example of Huckleberry Finn. And uh, she still insisted, in a way, rightly, that uh, just because Huckleberry Finn's not on a curriculum anymore isn't censorship. And I agree with the student who made that point. The problem with Huckleberry Finn is not just that it's no longer on curriculums, but it's been removed from libraries, and it's also been published in expurgated, valorized uh, editions. And that is really censorship. That really destroys the original work of the author. At this point, uh, uh, an international student who had never read Huckleberry Finn and was having a hard time following the conversation asked, well, what was it about this book that had caused it to be banned? I then informed that student uh, using Twain's exact language. It contained this offending word, what we now call the N-word. Um, but I used the language of Twain, not of, uh, not of uh, contemporary politics. It, happily enough, this caused the first student to admit, okay, I guess there is censorship in the United States. <laughs> and uh, that turned out to be a good thing because she then was able to think, well, maybe Plato has something to say. And she didn't simply just reject Plato out of hand. I think after that, she really approached the book with a much more open mind. Uh, she'd been liberated from this prejudice uh, you know, through this discussion. And, and because of that, she became a much better reader of Plato's Apology. And she raised some just fantastic questions later in the course that demonstrated that she now was really engaged with this book. And that's what books in a college classroom are for, that for making people realize that, you know, maybe they need to rethink things. Uh, maybe there's another way of looking at things. And it was a complete success in uh, in her case, as far as I know, a complete success. But it was very successful in her case. Unfortunately, another student who had sort of been trained by the CMC Dean of Students Office, they give uh, encouragement for students to do this, uh, became an informant. And she uh, she went to the dean's office, and I think first to the dean for diversity and inclusion, and then eventually to the to the dean of faculty's office, and complained that I had uh, I had uttered the N word in class. After that, uh, the dean called me in to uh, to discuss serious concerns. She said that it had been raised with my class, and uh, I told the dean, and actually at this point the associate dean, that there were serious concerns that had been raised by a student, and I had to come in and talk to the dean's office about them. I asked that they put those concerns in writing first. They refused, and this kind of went back and forth for a while. <clears throat> 
I stuck to my guns. And eventually she did send me a, a, a sort of inexact and, 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 uh, and also inaccurate summary of what had happened in that class and demanded to know the, my pedagogical reasons for, uh, for, for, for having committed this offense. I responded to her, and here, let me just quote what I responded to her. I said, I do think that when a student asks me a direct question that I'm able to answer, good pedagogy requires I tell them the truth. Do you disagree? Similarly, when a student makes a false claim, I think my job requires me to confront that student with facts that contradict them. Do you think I'm wrong to do so? I also hold the view that before criticizing and praising an author, one should first attempt to understand that author as he understood himself, something that requires reading and discussing exactly what he wrote. Do you think I'm mistaken in this approach? Um, so for me, what's really here, it's not this word or that word. It's the ability to read a book, to look at a piece of art in its original form, as close to its original form as we can, and to engage with the author uh, at that letter, at that level. Um, apparently, the dean disagreed. Um, I guess she received another complaint. I read aloud from Frederick Douglass's uh, narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, its most powerful passage about him, uh, uh, you know, about his master discovering him, uh, him learning how to read and, and, and intervening to make sure that doesn't happen. Again, the importance of reading. Th that most important passage contains the end word. And apparently, uh, some students from that class complained as well. And there are just sort of other more general complaints that, uh, that I was arguing Literally, this is one of the complaints, too aggressively in classroom, and, and that I was insisting that students take my point of view. Of course, I have never in 30 years of teaching ever argued for my own point of view in a classroom. I do aggressively argue in such a way as to make the students try to confront the arguments and thoughts of the books that were under consideration. Anyway, this was too much for the dean, so she undertook in a very devious way without any investigation or following normal procedures to take away my ability to uh, teach introductory classes. Okay, so they moved to take away your ability to teach these introductory classes, and then the president of the college actually published a, an opinion piece with the Wall Street Journal. And in this opinion piece, the president claims that you were never barred from teaching, and in fact, it basically compares you to a college snowflake. So I wanted to get your response to his claims that you were never punished because of this investigation. He claims that your class just wasn't popular and that you were complaining for no reason. Yeah, what's interesting about that, the particular class that was taken away from me, that I just looked, the average enrollment in it, in it over the last 20 years or over the last 20 times I've offered it is uh, 18.75. And the college clap caps that class at 19. So it's been pretty much at full full enrollment since uh, since I've been teaching it. I also teach that class at 8.10 in the morning, which is a, a not the most popular time to, uh, to to teach that class. And of course, that was at the request of the administration. The class is sort of more evenly distributed uh, throughout the day. And if you just think about the president's argument, he cites figures for this coming fall to prove that I have a low enrollment, which is why they took away that class. Well, future enrollment of a class is in the future. And the last time I checked, pause comes before effect. Um, but in this particular instance, I guess it was reversed in the president's mind. So I think his argument's a little bit weak. In addition, the class, uh, well, what they ended up doing was giving me another upper elective class, which actually... I have to say, did you know, get no students to uh, enroll in it. It was a class I had just taught this last semester, and there wasn't a huge demand for that in the first place. It's a class on actually Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. And unfortunately, 
the climate on campus is such that students are, most students just don't want to take a class that's going to deal with slavery and race and the problems of, emancipation, uh, of uh, you know, facing, uh, facing emancipation in a democratic society. So I teach that class about every other year, and I get enough students to, uh, to, to meet the enrollment uh, threshold. But, you know, I just taught it last semester, and they offer the class, and of course they offer this class at 8, 10 in the morning, flat time when no upper-level political philosophy class has ever been offered before in the past 30 years or so. It had no students involved in it. And, of course, they listed it at that time against, uh, without consulting me. Uh, and, you know, the obvious result was that the students were, uh, were, uh, were in it. And then he also gave a figure that I only had one student enrolled in the, uh, in the uh, required class that was substituted for that class. Of course, that class was not listed until the end of July. That's when they decided to reverse themselves and give me back this class. And uh, uh, that was three months after registration had closed and before students had come back on campus. So I'm surprised there was even one student uh, registered in it at that time. But in any case, by the time when students did come back, I can uh, assure you and your listeners that uh, enrollment was just fine. And uh, class discussion has actually been pretty lively. So, uh, so that's going forward. So I also want to say, they ended up giving me back this class. Um, they did take it away, which they denied they'd done. And I have actually ample documentary proof that was vetted by the Wall Street Journal and by the organization of uh, uh, fire organization, uh, the uh, Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression now. Um, they looked at all this evidence. They found that my claims were, uh, were quite credible. I'm still proceeding with the grievance against the dean for having done that, and uh, that's still ongoing, and I'll have to present that, uh, that evidence to a jury of my peers. But unfortunately, what the president has done here, uh, he just weighed in via the national media, telling this jury of my peers, who are all work under him at the uh, Claremont McKenna College, that if they side with me, they're siding with a liar, liar who's cancer on fire. So uh, that's not exactly following due process. And the president himself plays a very important role in the grievance process as the final court of appeal. Uh, I have no doubt that if I ever get to that point and appeal to him, how's that appeal going to go? He's already weighed in in the national media saying that my claim is absolutely baseless, of course, without ever having uh, taken the trouble to actually investigate these uh, claims, which he himself admits, or to hear my evidence for them. Uh, so it's become a bit of a circus, as you can imagine. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I'm glad you brought up fire because people who maybe aren't as familiar with Claremont and McKenna or don't actually teach or go to school there might look at fire's ratings on colleges that support free speech and academic freedom and see that Claremont McKenna repeatedly gets a really good ranking. So what is going on here? Is fire mistaken? Has Claremont McKenna changed? Why is it that they have seemingly gone from a place that was protecting freedom of inquiry and freedom of speech to now trying to punish professors who simply ask their students to engage in critical thinking? Well, first, I don't blame FIRE in any respect for this. The administration is very good at controlling flow of information. That seems to be about the primary job of college presidents and administration these days. They created something of a Potomkin village uh, on campus, but the actual facts on the ground and how students live them 
uh, are quite different than the than the picture presented on the brochures and uh, the information that they supply the fire. Uh, but this is not a problem simply on Claremont County campus. This, I think, is happening all over. Uh, when I published the op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, I received uh, a lot of uh, letters from faculty all over the country telling me that they had similar problems with their institutions. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I did not receive much in the way of faculty uh, correspondence from my colleagues here at Claremont County, perhaps because the president had already weighed in on just what would be the consequences for any faculty that might agree with me. And so the president himself, while he's lauding free speech out of one side of his mouth, out of the other side of his mouth, denounces me in the national media as a liar, signaling to the faculty on campus who are already not the most probably uh, courageous types of individuals you're likely to come across in average life, He's signaling them just what will happen to them if they if they uh, if they decide to go uh, go off the reservation or decide to uh, to rock the boat a little bit. We've got an institution here at Claremont McKenna College. It's called CMC Listens. Uh, it's a program that allows any student uh, to drop a dime on anyone on the campus if they find something that's at all troubling to them. Uh, you can visit the CMC website. Uh, it's rather amusing. There's a little video on how to uh, how to use the service, uh, but they can submit anonymous reports to any senior staff in three easy steps. Right? And you can do it by text. You can do it by email. You can call them up and leave a message. Uh, so uh, uh, they, 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 uh, this allows, of course, the good uh, advantage for the administration. This allows them to get intelligence various people on campus. And, uh, by intelligence, uh, I don't mean news uh, as in the Greek, but intelligence as in uh, information that you can then act upon. And unfortunately, they do act upon it, uh, despite their claims. Yes, and it seems like, at least since the early 2010s and maybe earlier, these bias response systems, as they're often called, have cropped up on campuses across the country and encourage the reporting of not just professors, but fellow students who run afoul of the mob as well. And, you know, I used to work for Campus Reform, and there were so many stories about professors or students in class who were trying to explore and grapple with new ideas and were punished for doing so in a way that was considered perhaps indelicate. And I was hoping you could speak to the chilling effect that that might have in education and and also the negative ramifications that could have for a student's ability to really wrestle with the truth and come to a higher understanding on a on a campus of higher education. Yeah, well, you know, I came to CMC in 2006 from another college and it was such a pleasure when I got to Claremont McKenna College because the college that I'd been at before, the students were not all that serious. They went, it was a backup college. People went there uh, because they didn't get into a very good college. And one of them once there told one of my uh, professors uh, who chided him for not working up to his full capacity. He said, well, <laughs> if I'd wanted to study, I would have gone to Williams. Uh, so that's the kind of place it was. But when I got to Claremont McKenna College, it was just a completely different atmosphere. The first class I walked into, I was teaching a class on separation of church and state. And there was some rather dry material you have to go through, at least at the beginning, with regard to uh, Supreme Court cases and whatnot. And I walked into that class thinking, well, I was going to be a little bit like pulling teeth as it had been at my other institution. Instead, I, find most, I found myself just 
not pulling teeth as a dentist, but acting as an umpire, just trying to manage the, 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 the very lively arguments that were taking part, uh, place between the students in the class. I mean, it was just terrific. Uh, they came to class, they were well prepared, they had their various opinions, they did not hesitate to speak their minds. And it was a terrific class. It was a class on religion and politics. I had an atheist, I had a Catholic, I had a Protestant, I had a Jew, uh, and they just went at each other. And it was terrific. And I think all those students very much enjoyed that class, and I certainly did. Today, it's almost impossible to get students to argue with one another. And this has been going on for a while. I was had one student come in to me once in office hours and said to me, you know, whatever Mr. X, Y, or Z was saying in class, you know, I really disagree with that. And she came up with a bunch of uh, arguments, good ones, against whatever the student had been saying. And I said, well, why didn't you bring this up in class? And she said, well, you know, I might have to see him outside of class. And I didn't want to make him feel bad, right? And so in a way, that was sort of the beginning of it, this They've been taught that they have to be so sensitive of other people's emotions and, and perspectives, and they and they experience arguing with someone as as, as insulting them. I tried to impress upon her. No, no, no. When you argue with someone, that's a compliment because you're giving them, you're paying them the compliment that they're able to reason. And of course, the nice thing about that is it then opens up you to them coming back you with, at you with an argument. Right? You start making an argument. Well, you're open to them making counter-arguments to you. And in fact, that's a relationship between equals. She was treating this student like a child, right? And they sort of treat each other like children. And you don't really argue with children because the, yeah, it doesn't work. You get upset. How do you manage children? Well, you know, if they're not capable of reason, you really don't have any other choice but through the imposition of authority. And unfortunately, that's where uh, these students also understand that. Now, when they hear an argument they don't like, they don't make a counter-argument, they run off to some authority figure to make it stop. They go to the dean. Unfortunately, the dean, I mean, in my dream world, the dean would have these students come in, hear their complaints, and she'd tell them, well, very nice. Why don't you grow up? Uh, and if you can't grow up, you know, maybe you should take a little gap year, a little bit of time off. Go, go, go develop some maturity. You're not ready for college. Uh, haven't had a, uh, I don't know of any dean saying that to many people. I, I don't know many college campuses with deans like that. Uh, instead, the dean acts on their will and uh, tries to uh, tries to make them comfortable. Uh, it, it started out sort of with, uh, you know, an exam week. They used to make sure that the students were supplied with coffee. Uh, now they make sure there are massage chairs and uh, comfort puppies, right? And those comfort puppies, the sad thing about them, they're not even puppies, right? Uh, they're just small dogs. Uh, <laughs> so even that's even that's a Potomkin village. <laughs> so there is this kind of modeling, but yeah, it starts even earlier. Students are not encouraged in elementary and high school to argue with each other, so they don't have the habit of it. They they get frustrated because you know they just haven't been exposed to that kind of discussion among human beings and it's it's just been a disaster and this this is not a problem only at claremont mckenna college this is a problem i think that's uh, that's all over the country yeah absolutely when i was in middle school i was in a government class with a teacher who had very different political views than me and and i was the only person who would argue with him but i found that he actually really appreciated it probably because he didn't get to have that experience very often with his students. But uh, Chris Nadon, he's a teacher with Claremont McKenna College. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And I wish you the best of luck with your 
fight, so to speak, with the administration, and I hope that you're able to continue teaching your classes and, and encouraging your students to, to think hard and critically. Yeah, thank you for having me on, and uh, unfortunately, thank you for wishing me luck. Unfortunately, I think luck is probably what I'm going to need. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of The District, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Spectator World is the American edition of the world's oldest magazine. To read more content on similar topics, please visit spectatorworld.com.